of American Bankruptcy Institute podcasts. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. The Phoenix Coyotes' wild six-month ride through bankruptcy ended November 2nd with a judge's approval of the sale of the franchise to the National Hockey League. Judge Tom Baum signed the order in favor of the NHL, giving the league full control of the Coyotes' business operations. The NHL bid of about $140 million, including more than $11 million to pay unsecured creditors, was far less than that offered by Canadian billionaire businessman Jim Balsillie, who sought to buy and move the team to Hamilton, Ontario. NHL owners unanimously opposed the bid by the co-founder of BlackBerry producer Research in Motion, even though he was willing to pay some $100 million more than anyone else offered. The Coyotes have struggled on and off the ice since moving to the desert from Winnipeg, Manitoba in 1996. The team reportedly lost more than $50 million last season and missed the playoffs again for the sixth straight year. The case has been a high-stakes fight involving the intersection of the bankruptcy code and the arcane rules of sports franchises. The resolution early this month keeps the team in Phoenix, at least for now. With me to discuss some of the unusual aspects of the case is Tom Salerno of Squire, Sanders, and Dempsey in Phoenix, attorney for the debtors, Coyotes Hockey. Welcome, Tom, to ABI Podcasts. Hi, Sam. How are you today? Very well. Very well. First, let me just uh, uh, ask you to tee up for our listeners, what is the uh, procedural stage of the case now? After the sale, what's left of the case? What's left to happen? Well, uh, Sam, the... The Coyote, uh, south of the NHL closed on November 2nd. Uh, the NHL wire transferred funds into a special debtor in possession account. So what is effectively left of the estate at this juncture is a cash pot. Uh, some uh, claims uh, with respect to unsecured creditors against that pot, which is a fairly small universe of claimants. Uh, and that's pretty much it at this point. Now, a, a threshold issue uh, at the outset was whether your uh, uh, client, Coyotes Hockey, had the right to put the franchise into Chapter 11 to begin with. The NHL's claim was that, I understand it, that the league provided the Coyotes and the then owner, Jerry Moyes, with $38 million of financial support. And at that point, as a condition of that, that uh, he agreed that he had no authority to cause the team to take any action outside the normal course of business, including filing for bankruptcy. Now, if the, uh, if the then owner agreed to those terms, he apparently wouldn't have had the authority to file. Did the court ever uh, get to resolve that threshold issue? Well, uh, suffice it to say, Sam, that the debtors took an entirely different view of the documentation that was signed as part of the NHL financing and what you've just described, what you've described is the NHL's position. Right. Uh, the position of the debtors was was contrary to that. Specifically, the NHL had uh, Mr. Moy sign some documents. The documents said that what the NHL took was the right to vote uh, the LLC member interests with respect to Coyotes Hockey LLC. 
there is it, it did not give them managing member rights. It did not it did not make them a substitute managing member. It simply gave them the right to vote. The issue then becomes: was a vote necessary? In order, was a vote of the managing members or or the actual members of the LLC necessary in order to put the LLC into bankruptcy? Well, in fact, it wasn't. There was no voting requirement of the members in order to put the LLC into bankruptcy, but that was at the sole discretion of the managing member. The managing member was and remained Jerry Moyes. And so while the NHL may have thought that what they took was uh, the right to block a bankruptcy, if you will, in fact, they didn't. This issue was fully briefed before the judge. The judge had expressed uh, serious uh, reservations about the NHL's position because the documents were clear on their face. Uh, and what had wound up happening was the NHL approached the debtors uh, after this was all briefed and argued and said, why don't we, rather than uh, have the judge rule on this, simply agree to a protocol whereby, with respect to ordinary course decisions, business decisions, that there was consultation with the NHL. Uh, if, the, if the debtors in the NHL agreed, then those business decisions would occur as per the agreement. If there was not an agreement either party could go into court to, to get something done. The reason the debtors agreed to this was simply the NHL was the, the debtor in possession financier for the case. The NHL continued to fund the losses of the case post-bankruptcy, just like they had done pre-bankruptcy. And so that issue was never specifically ruled upon, and in fact, ultimately, that motion, if it hasn't been, will, will be withdrawn because it's kind of moot at this point. Right, right, right. Um, but never, but never resolved uh, in court. And um, no, right, right. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, Sam, I would think that the, the form documents that the NHL uses mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. will will be modified for the next deal yeah. because those documents did not do what the NHL right what they thought they, they did. did. Right, got it. Now, on the day that you filed the Coyotes into Chapter Eleven uh, in May, uh, team owner Jerry Moyes also executed uh, an agreement with Balsillie's company to sell the team and to move it, uh, irrespective of the consent of the league. Now, um, what, were the, what were the bankruptcy provisions and arguments that would have been cited in support of that authority of the, uh, of the Chapter 11 debtor to do that? Is it just a, what, what part of Section 363 permits that? Well, let's put a little context to this, Sam. It's it's not as if the debtors decided to simply sell to Jim Basile and move it without NHL consent when there were tons of buyers that were willing to buy this team and keep it right. in Arizona. Right. And and that's important because in fact in the months preceding the filing of the bankruptcy there were numerous numerous discussions with a lot of different parties to keep it here, to keep the team in Arizona. Well, that none of those panned out. And, in fact, they didn't pan out in the bankruptcy process itself, which right. I'm sure we'll talk about later. Right. So it's not, a, it's not a question of simply throwing into bankruptcy for the purpose of selling over the objection of the NHL, if you will, because there was any great desire to move this team. In fact, Jerry Moyes is a longtime Glendale, Arizona resident, has done a lot for that town, and there's very little... Uh, th- th- there's very little that he wanted to do to harm the city. It was simply uh, the only offer, the right. only actual offer that was received was from Jim Basile. Right. When you take a look at what you have with a hockey team, you, you really have two types of rights. You have uh, assets, hard assets that you own, 
and you also have executory contract types of rights. So the two provisions of the bankruptcy code that were directly implicated were Section 363, with respect to the actual assets that you own, and Section 365, with respect to executory contract type of rights. The, the basic uh, analysis and argument to the court was, with respect to Section 363 assets, there was a bona fide dispute with respect to the NHL's consent rights regarding uh, the ability to move the team. Every member of the NHL, every team owner of the NHL, signs on to uh, the NHL Constitution and bylaws. The NHL Constitution and bylaws have very specific provisions with respect to changing ownership of the team and transferring location where the team plays. So there's very specific um, criteria with respect to that. And the, the NHL team members have a right to vote with respect to that. With respect to a move of this team to Ontario, Canada, the position of the debtors, and it was filed in an adversary proceeding uh, before the bankruptcy court, was that the NHL's constitution and bylaws, which prevented uh, a transfer without the consent of the NHL, was essentially a violation of antitrust laws. And that adversary proceeding was filed pretty much within the same, at the same time that the bankruptcy was filed. So the position of the debtor was with respect to owned assets. Under Section 363, there was a bona fide dispute with respect to the NHL's ability to block a sale. Uh, and therefore, the bona fide dispute was represented by the uh, filed adversary proceeding. And as a result of that, the bankruptcy court could, in fact, uh, sell free and clear, if you would, of those consent rights. Um, then the issue under 363 then becomes, even if you do that, you have to show adequate protection for those interests and rights that you are selling free and clear of. Simplest thing would be, of course, if you were selling free and clear of a lien type of right, you know, an encumbrance type of right, you would have the lien attached to the proceeds. That would be the adequate protection. Well, these are, this is somewhat different. The adequate protection that the debtors offered in this case was that we would make an evidentiary showing to the bankruptcy court that with respect to both transfer of, of ownership in the team to Mr. Basili and transfer of location, the relocation aspect of it, that objectively this transfer of ownership and relocation met the objective criteria found in the NHL bylaws, Section 35 and 36 of the NHL bylaws which is a very detailed provision says, here's what you look at for both of those things. So we would make an evidentiary showing with respect to that, and that would be the adequate protection on the 363. With respect to Section 365 rights, uh, the issue became, well, if uh, the executory contract, if the franchise agreement, and everyone calls it a franchise, like a Major League Baseball franchise, a Hockey League franchise, this isn't a really a franchise uh, relationship. Uh, notwithstanding arguments by the NHL, that this was either in the nature of personal services contract, what the judge rejected, the judge rejected that argument, or it was in the nature of a franchise. It's not really a franchise agreement in the sense of, uh, you know, a, an auto dealership right. or something like that. There's state laws which very specifically deal with those types of relationships. There is no such law here. This is nothing more than, than a cooperative uh, of 30 different teams to form the NHL, uh, and, and so that they can compete with each other. So with respect to Section 365, our provision or our position was simply that um, the provision
provisions of the uh, bylaws and other documents that might constitute an executory contract, which would prohibit uh, transfer of, of ownership and or relocation, would be, would be unenforceable as a matter of bankruptcy laws being anti-assignment um, provisions. In addition, uh, we took the position that the uh, consent rights as being exercised in this particular instance were violative of applicable non-bankruptcy law. What non-bankruptcy law? Antitrust laws. Right. And I'll tell you why I say that specifically. The NHL Constitution makes very clear that with respect to a relocation of a team from one place to the other, it requires a unanimous vote. What that effectively means on the flip side is that any one team has a veto. Because if any one team votes against it, that simply, um, uh, under the Constitution, under the terms of the Constitution, would not be, uh, would not pass muster. In this particular instance, we were talking about moving a team within 47 miles of where the Toronto Maple Leafs play. Right. That's where Ontario is. Under the NHL Constitution and bylaws, each team has a 50-mile exclusive radius, if you will. You can't bring a team within 50 miles right. of that. To allow a, to allow a team to veto any, any move of a team within four, uh, 50 miles essentially constitutes a... Uh, in our opinion, a violation of antitrust laws because it, it would restrain trade. Right. It's interesting to note that of all of the other major sports leagues, Major League Baseball, uh, NBA, all of these other major sports leagues, none of them have that in their constitution. They've taken that out because that is a problem from an antitrust law perspective. Mm -hmm. You've got a monopoly in an area within a 50-mile radius. Isn't that the, and, the Oakland Raiders strategy? Well, it was certainly the, the, the Raiders' strategy. The Raiders did something slightly different. They moved the team and then fought with the NFL after they moved the team. Um, so that was certainly their strategy. Mm -hmm. So in any event, our, our position was with respect to any of these consent provisions under uh, 365, those violated applicable non-bankruptcy law, and as a result of it, they were either anti-assignment provisions, which were not enforceable, or the court shouldn't have to enforce them. And there's case law which supports that. The analogy I used was if I had a contract, and the contract says with I can sublease my, my property, but I can, but the only uh, the only limitation would be I could not sublet it to an Italian American. Right. Well, under those circumstances, we could go in. If I found an Italian American to sublease to, I could say. Your Honor, you don't need to enforce, and you shouldn't enforce this prohibition with respect to that assignment, assumption and assignment, because it violates applicable non-bankruptcy law. The NHL countered, uh, obviously just dis uh, disputing our arguments in general, but they also countered that that having been said, in order to assume and assign a contract, there has to be adequate assurance of future performance, and our position was the adequate assurance of future performance was, again, that we would show that the transfer of the ownership and the transfer of the, the relocation of the team met the objective criteria of um, the NHL Constitution and bylaws, and we, we were prepared to make, and, and, and I think did make, an evidentiary showing with respect to that. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. So did the court ever rule on the non-economic rights claim? Yeah, what wound up ultimately happening, uh, the, the, the court did in fact find that there was a bona fide dispute for purposes of Section 363, 
uh, and uh, and that having been said, um, the, the court then looked to what is the adequate protection, and can there be an adequate protection of of non-economic rights? Mm-hmm. And that's where the court's basic ruling came down. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it will be published. Uh, the ruling will be published. It was September 30, 2009 uh, ruling. But ultimately, the court said that the NHL's uh, interest in controlling who is it that, who, who becomes an NHL owner and where teams play is a non-economic interest that could not be adequately protected. As a result of that, the court found that that they would not, uh, the court could not approve a sale over the objection of the NHL under these circumstances uh, because they didn't find that there could be adequate protection of non-economic interests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, going forward, then that would seem to be uh, that would be a, a pretty strong barrier to using the bankruptcy law as a way to uh, trump or otherwise get around. Uh, bylaws that are typical in these sports leagues? Well, a couple of things that I would suggest with respect to that. Number one, since the enactment of the Bankruptcy Code in 1978, there have been five professional sports teams that have filed. So mm-hmm. That's not a lot within that time. The most recent, as you know, Chicago Cubs right. filed in Delaware. That was sold, I think, in 24 hours. Right. But that was done, of course, with the consent of Major League Baseball. Right. But beyond that, you had... Um, uh, you had one NBA team and three N- N- NHL teams, the Phoenix Coyotes being the third. Right. Um, which so it's there. There's no there's no law on what we're talking about. So right. these were matters of first impression. The second thing that you need to remember is this is one judge in one court. Right. There's no appellate court authority with respect to this. Right. This judge um, came down and said that's that's his opinion with respect to that, and of course we respect uh, the judge's opinion. Uh, But that doesn't mean that another judge would necessarily find the same thing. It's not like this is a Supreme Court decision, it's simply this judge's uh, analysis with respect to it. One of the problems and challenges that we had in the case was the speed with which everything had to move. Um, Initially, uh, Jim Basile wanted to buy and close on this team so that they could move it for this time season for the season. that we're currently sure. in, the 2009-2010 right. right. season. So things had to move very quickly. As a result of that, um, everyone was moving very, very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, as you can imagine. Uh, and the judge did, in fact, limit some discovery that we wanted to take, which we felt we believe would have uh, bolstered the case that we were making with respect to uh, the violation of antitrust laws. By way of example, what we wanted to do was depose the um, owners of the Toronto Maple Leafs to, uh, because it was our belief, and it remains our belief, that what really happened here was that even though the owners, you know, we talk about the owners rejected Mr. Basile, right? that this is really done in order to protect the veto of these various teams. Um, the, uh, we wanted to depose the owners of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, to explore that, and the judge was not inclined to let us do so. So as a result of it, we were a little bit handcuffed in making some of the evidentiary case that we wanted to make. But uh, that was one of the challenges, challenge you face in these things, where right. you, you're moving very very quickly, and there were a lot of issues. Right. Now, the case was filed in Phoenix, obviously, and so clearly you have hometown interests present and hometown attention. Uh, the city of Glendale, 
Uh, obviously, there's a huge financial stake in the team. They've got this 30-year lease agreement. Uh, otherwise, would have an empty building on their hands. Uh, there's local fans, uh, at least some in Phoenix, who care about hockey. Daily media coverage, uh, and so on. Did did do you think, in retrospect, that? Uh, and I'm not sure what options you had in terms of where to file the case, but did filing the case locally have an impact on how the case was handled and ultimately resolved? Do you think? Um, a couple of a couple of things, Sam. You, you and I do want to correct something you said that was that, that's inaccurate. You said that with respect to the city of Glendale, that if the team left, there'd be an empty building. The thing you need to remember is this: the the arena where the Phoenix Coyotes play, there's 40 home games a year. That weighs 325 other days of a year, and that is a multi-use facility. In fact, it's it's used for concerts. It's used for other events other than the 40 games a year that that are being played by uh, that, that the Coyotes play in. So it's not really like if the Coyotes left, you have a building that would go dark because it's not like that at all. So I just want to correct that. But what were their other? Who's, who's the other major tenant? Well, there's no other major tenant, but the point is that there's a use of the building. Mm-hmm. The, there, there's a huge the, the concerts occur there all the time, all the time. Uh, so, so you got your 40 home games, but it doesn't mean that. So, if there's no home games, it doesn't mean that the building is useless and that there may not be another tenant. But it's not like there's not a use of that building. Uh, and that's that's an important distinction, and I just want to be clear uh, with respect to that. But um, you know, with respect to where we file, obviously venue uh, venue selection is um, is important. Uh, I can't obviously get into all the the thought process with respect to that. But there were uh, the other option was to file this case in Delaware uh, because the LLCs are um, uh, Delaware LLCs. And there was there was a lot of discussion about mm-hmm. where to file, and and I really can't get into uh, into those discussions. But obviously, the concern is the, the the hometown. Sometimes there's a hometown advantage. Sometimes there's a hometown um, disadvantage. And there are, there is a lot of uh, there was a lot of press. It wasn't just local press. It was um, both national and international press. It's right. been in the Wall Street Journal. It's been in the New York Times. Uh, the Canadian press has been having a field day with it. I, uh, at every hearing, there was we had an overflow courtroom for press, right. for press, where it was televised so that the press could be in there with their computers. They were sending real-time reports, right. things you would, things you would say. Right. Uh, two minutes later, would be on the internet. Right. Uh, it was kind of an interesting case. And that having been said, um, I, I think it would have generated the same amount of press, no matter where it was. Uh, the, the, the local press in Arizona would have would have been going to Delaware, just like. Obviously, the Canadian press and the national press. So, I don't think press coverage was was much of an issue. The fact that the city of Glendale did have a big interest that is uh, that's going to be true no matter where. And to the extent that that had an, an impact, uh, an impact on the judge, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. He didn't he didn't indicate it one way or the other. So it's hard for me to to speculate. Right. Um, last uh, last point here is uh, just on the whole nature of. Uh, the ability of the team to be successful going forward now that it's a essentially a ward of the a ward of the state of the NHL, uh, and this gets to the the issue of the support of the of the community. Um, 
Uh, on the day, ironically, of the of news of the teams uh, emerging from bankruptcy, uh, there were a grand total of uh, 5,855 tickets sold for the game that evening, uh, suggesting that um, there's some doubt about whether the team, even though, ironically, it's, it's actually playing better and they've got a lot of young talent, um, whether they'll ever take root sufficiently in the desert to, to make it a successful franchise. Do you have any uh, opinion? You know their finances as well as anybody. Do you have any opinion on, on if this is doable in Phoenix? Uh, I, I wish the Phoenix Coyotes no ill whatsoever, and, and I hope they do make it. I, I hope they do make it. Uh, if history is any indication, they, the, the Phoenix Coyotes came to Arizona in 1996 uh, from Winnipeg. And all of that time, they haven't had a profitable, economically profitable year since they've come here. So people can argue that, gee, if you make this tweak or that tweak in your cost structure, suddenly you become magically uh, profitable. Um, I, I hope the NHL is able to do so. One of the biggest impediments to making them profitable is this 30-year lease with the city of Glendale. Right. The NHL promised the court back in June that there were all sorts of buyers who wanted to buy this team and keep it yeah. in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, none of those buyers came up with any viable offers. Right. Uh, none of them came up with a viable offer, and the offers that they did come up with all had as an express condition that this lease with the NHL, or I'm sorry, the lease with the city of Glendale, be renegotiated because it, it's not economically feasible. Right. The NHL didn't want to buy this team. That much I can assure you. The NHL was formed through its predecessor uh, organizations in 1917 as the National Hockey Association. This is the first time in the history of the NHL since 1917 that the NHL has directly bought a team. The last time this was done in professional sports was when the Major League Baseball bought the Montreal Expos. And, and it, it is not a common thing for a, a league to buy one of their own teams. Right. They are searching for a buyer that will keep the team in Arizona. I suspect in order to do that, they're going to need uh, some renegoti renegotiating of the city of Glendale lease because every buyer that's looked at it to date has said this isn't making sense. So um, will they make it? Uh, I don't know. Only time will tell. They are playing better. They're, I think, division leaders, and that's, that's a good thing. That's a very positive thing. Right. Whether hockey will ever really flourish in the desert uh, remains to be seen. I hope for their sake that, uh, that it does. I do. I wish them no ill at all. Um, we'll, we'll see. Well, the Montreal Expos ended up moving to Washington. <laughs> And they did, and exactly uh, we already right. have a uh, we already have a popular uh, hockey team, so we probably can't uh, uh, use another one. Although, um, as a season ticket holder of the Washington Capitals, uh, I love hockey, and uh, I too hope uh, the sport can can grow uh, in Arizona. I also take it you probably won't be exchanging uh, holiday cards with uh, Gary Bettman or any of the NHL uh, brass are they <laughs> on your holiday well, card. I mean, it was. It was very interesting. Scott Narfs uh, was primary counsel for the NHL, right. and and it was um, it was a very contentious case, as you can imagine. But it was always it was always very civil. Um, and uh, I cross examined Mr. Bettman uh, during during the course of the proceedings. Um, I, I don't think there are any hard feelings, certainly on my end, and I don't I don't really think on theirs. Uh, we all did what we felt we had to do, and. Um, 
you know, again, I wish the team, I wish the team luck. And uh, I know that the that it was watched, that the case was watched by not only other sports leagues. In fact, um, the NBA, the NFL, and, the, and Major League Baseball all submitted amicus ratings right. in the case, saying, "Please, uh, you know, please respect our our laws. Please respect our bylaws, etc." Um, uh, but there are other hockey teams which are in financial distress. For sure. And uh, it will be interesting to see. And does the fact that this case came out this way sound the death knell for it? I don't think so because there are other, there's other courts, and as you know, bankruptcy courts disagree all the time. Uh, they disagree all the time with respect to this. Right. So the ultimate question of, of whether you can relocate a, a pro sports team in bankruptcy over the opposition of the sports governing body is to be determined still. I think it absolutely is. I mean, it's not like it hasn't been done. Mm-hmm. It's been done in the NFL, both with the Oakland Raiders and the Baltimore Colts. They left literally, and you know, Baltimore Colts left Baltimore in the, dark in of the middle night. of the night. Right. So these things happen. And in fact, when the NHL was arguing to this judge, who happens to be a, a sports fan, uh, Judge Baum is, right. uh, is, is a huge sports fan. Right. Uh, when they when they were arguing about how this will be dogs and cats living together, the Earth will spin off its axis into the sun, <laughs> etc. If this happens, the judge said, well, it's not like it hasn't happened before. Mm-hmm. It's not like it hasn't happened before. Also, uh, interestingly, this is not the first time a bankruptcy was used to uh, effectuate the move of a team, of a professional sports team. It's the first time it's been done um, under the bankruptcy code, but under the Bankruptcy Act, the Milwaukee Brewers were moved from Seattle. They were the Seattle Pilots in the 70s, right? and they were, they were moved to Milwaukee, as a result of a bankruptcy proceeding that they filed under the Bankruptcy Act. What's, uh, to me, enormously interesting and perhaps ironic is that the owner of the purchaser for the team that moved them to Milwaukee was none other than Bud Selig, who is currently the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Great irony. So while, while Major League Baseball showed up and said, don't ever allow this to happen, Mr. Selig, when he was a buyer, when he was the basili of that particular transaction, mm-hmm. Uh, had no had no hesitation about right. uh, using a bankruptcy to implement a, um, a transfer of a team from uh, Seattle to Milwaukee, but such is life, I suppose. Fascinating stuff, Tom. Thanks so much for being our guest today. This is a, a very very interesting case. Tons of legal issues and um, and, and other uh, bankruptcy issues in particular. Uh, And we're very grateful uh, for you uh, taking the time to share your insights on the case with us. It's my pleasure. Uh, I will tell our reminder audience that uh, you can listen to or download more than 70 podcasts from our website at www.abi.org. And until next time, this is Sam Giordano saying goodbye from the American Bankruptcy Institute.